Well, good morning once again. Long time no see. Uh, yeah, started out with a good pastor's joke around a good roll. This is nice. Uh, if you guys haven't opened up already, we are back in Matthew chapter 10. I think it's uh, good for us. I couldn't find my Bible this morning, probably because my kids took it and put it somewhere, but I got Jamie's old ESV Bible, and all of Matthew chapter 10 is underlined. So I think that starts us off on another good, another good footing there. But we're looking at, uh, just as Len just read, and praise God for his word, we're looking at chapter 10, 16 through 25. And this really is a this really is the word of God for us, not just for the disciples, but for us today. So I know Len already read the whole thing, again, stealing my thunder, and I would just like to hone in on two verses for our sake and for Christ's sake, and that's verse 21 and 22. So let's think on these verses I read, and then I'll pray, and we'll, we'll dive in. Verse 21 says this, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, Father, we praise your name. We praise your name for gathering us here together to worship you in love, Lord, in a response to your love for us. Lord, we know that you've gathered here, gathered us together here to love one another. And Father, we worship you for that service that we get to do as, as a church body. Lord, we read this passage aloud, and it is not a, I guess in a certain sense, it's not a happy passage, Lord. This passage warns of persecution and deep, deep divide. So, Father, I ask that as we prepare, we get prepared in your word, Father, you would not only help us look to the future, and maybe even in some of our own present cases where this is the case, Father, I pray that you would help our hearts and our minds really focus in on who you are as our shepherd. And Lord, I pray that the realization of who you are really would impact the way that we respond to our situations and keep us, Father, by your grace. Keep us faithful to the mission you've called us to, to proclaim your kingdom and you as our king. So, Father, we pray these things just in faith that the Holy Spirit does this in us, faith that Jesus is our mediator, Father, that we have, we have this good command, Lord, we have this good request before you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week... Uh, we saw Jesus kind of pull his disciples by the elbow or ears or hair, whatever it might be, into the mission of God, right? All the way back in the end of chapter 9, we saw that Jesus prayed for laborers to go out and to work the harvest, God's harvest, right? Proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And he turns immediately around, grabs his disciples and says, good, my prayer has been answered and chucks them right into ministry. And he, he prepares them. We saw this preparation last week, right? He does two things in order to prepare them. The first is he gives them that authority, right? He gives him his blessing. He says, even though you're going away from me physically, the kingdom, my kingdom will persist with you. And that brought us great encouragement. 
Then we saw how Jesus really was going to shape the culture of his mission by giving the instructions. As we saw, we saw going, we saw serving, giving freely to one another and trusting. Right? We saw all these things and how that really does set up for us the culture, right? the culture of grace that we go out to minister to other people. Jesus here is, again, preparing his disciples for the ministry, right? We have this new, of course, commands. We follow the Great Commission. We go, we teach others about Christ. We disciple them. We baptize them. We expect faith out of them, which is God's work in their heart. But what will be the reaction of the world to this mission? And Jesus here prepares his disciples even further by giving them proper expectations for what grace worked out in a broken world will receive. And maybe just our thought right off the bat today, maybe this might be just like a challenge to us, but really when we think we're going to be doing good, we are going to be loving, especially in a, in a culture that's all about love at this moment, right? Everybody's talking about love. We think we should just be able to just minister freely. That is not what Jesus promises his disciples. It's not what Jesus promises us. So Jesus is going to be doing uh, us a very big favor by telling us that really what the response of a broken world to God's grace ministered through his believers really will be persecution. It really will be hatred and animosity. It really will be delivering up to these authorities. We're going to be going through all these, of course, but for us, even just here in the first couple moments, we need to think about what are our expectations. We're going to be talking enough about expectations today. right? If, if we have proper expectations going into anything, it really dictates our heart going into that as well. If we're expecting a great vacation, right? we're excited to go on vacation, and vice versa. We're expecting a horrible vacation. We're not really excited to go, but nonetheless. Right? Uh, same thing for everything, a business meeting, family get-together, even just uh, what a personal deal going on, right? We have these expectations. The expectations really do dictate our faithfulness, what we aim to do when the time comes. So Jesus here is going to prepare his disciples, prepare us by giving us the proper expectations. We're going to see a lot in this passage when clauses. This is not an if clause. These are when things. So we need to be prepared that when persecution comes, it's going to be against the truth of God. But in addition to that, we're going to see, as Jesus prepares us, we're going to see that he just doesn't prepare us for persecution, but he prepares us in his character and in his work. So as we look at all these moments of persecution and all the differing, varying facets of what that persecution looks like, we also need to look to God. Our, our minds and our hearts and our eyes can't stop at persecution. In a sense, we need to hope beyond it. We need to see past it to the God who is leading us, providing for us, and loving us. So we look at this passage today, and really we're going to be seeing, this is the big idea if you're taking notes, perseverance or persevering hardship authenticates God's love. Persevering hardship authenticates God's love. So look at verse 16 with me. This is Jesus speaking again. He's continuing this conversation with his disciples, and he says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, he is not holding back any punches whatsoever, right? He literally says, he's, I am the one sending you out from me into what? Into a bed of roses, right? No. Into Disneyland. No, right? None of these good things. What is he sending his sheep? 
sending his sheep into the midst of wolves. We get this picture in our minds that Jesus is the shepherd, and we'll get into that in a moment. But as the shepherd, he is, he is sending his sheep out to be encircled by wolves. Uh, the, just last year, we were doing a camp out up in Sussex, and we heard yipping in the woods. And it was very far away. So it was very faint, it was totally fine, wasn't nervous whatsoever, but then we heard yipping on the other side of us. And we're like, okay, that's strange. So maybe they just ran real fast, like a thousand miles an hour real fast. But then the yipping was on the other side of us as well. And I was like, okay, that's weird too, because now they can't run that fast, right? And then yipping on all four corners. And then it got closer and closer and closer, right? That, that's the tactic, right? The predators, they encircle. And you would think, wouldn't Jesus our loving Savior, not do this to his sheep. That might be something about wolves or maybe coyotes or something like that, but we also need to think about what sheep are. Sheep are not intelligent. (laughs) And they are completely defenseless, right? Their best defense is running, and they run slow, right? That's why they need a shepherd, right? We're looking at this, and this just seems backwards to us. Why would Jesus send his disciples out to be encircled by predators. Why would he do that? It's to proclaim the kingdom. We saw this last passage last week. It's to proclaim the kingdom. And again, it still just doesn't resonate with us all the way. Why would Jesus send us into danger? Why would he have us encircled by those who hate us to proclaim the kingdom? Because we're not just proclaiming the kingdom, we're proclaiming the king. Something that Matthew does all throughout his book, and I absolutely love it, is that it points to Jesus as the Messiah. Of course, this king promised from the Old Testament to save the people who would repent of their sin and believe in him. But there's another adjective that Matthew uses a lot in his imagery, and that's shepherd. So as we think about this passage today, we think, yes, I am a sheep. I've repented of my sin, and I've believed in Jesus. I am under his shepherding. He is my shepherd, and I am his sheep, and he sends me out into this dangerous world to proclaim his kingdom, but he does not abandon me. All right? In a sense here, the sheep that have been found by the king go out to the lost and ruined sheep. All right? We saw that last week in that passage. Right? Our ministry is to those who are ruined, those who are cut off from Jesus. We proclaim a great shepherd. And we do that by giving up our lives, by risking, by counting the cost and saying, I will go. I will show the love that Jesus has shown me in rescuing me from my sin. And I will prove that. I will authenticate God's love to others by risking my life as Jesus did for me. Though we would never say out loud that we're defenseless and dumb, we need to understand that we are sheep. (laughs) And we need a great king shepherd to lead us on the mission. And thankfully, that's what Jesus is doing here. He is sending the sheep out into the midst of wolves, but he is going with them. He goes with us, and we have that great comfort. So one of the things that Jesus says right after that is he gives these two instructions. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, minds instantly think serpent. We all know our Bible. We think Genesis chapter 3. We think Satan. Jesus is not saying be like Satan. Don't get me wrong. He's saying be like a door-to-door vacuum salesman. That's what he's saying, right? Yeah, so let's think about this for one second. 
All right, so he's saying uh, to be wise as serpents. The wisdom here is a shrewdness, right? Lenny read that in CSB, right? There's a shrewdness there. That doesn't mean that we are uh, gimmicky. It doesn't mean that we have these ulterior selfish modes. No, in fact, it means that God's disciples, we plan ahead. We think things through. We prepare, right? We are going at this intelligently. We're not winging it. We're not claiming ignorance. We are being wise. We're following our wise king, and we are planning on being wise. Then the other thing here is uh, innocent as a dove. And this really balances out the, the shrewdness here, the wisdom. But the innocent here means to, to what we are preaching, what we're preparing to tell others about the kingdom of God. We should be backing it up in our, uh, or not language, but in our lives, right? Our lives back up the message that we are telling others. We're practicing what we're preaching. And so as Jesus sends his disciples out into a world that will guarantee hate them and persecute them, he's saying, think ahead. Prepare yourself for this by knowing your king and acting like your king. How can we do that? Verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogue. So Jesus is saying, beware of these men. He's not just talking about the gender men. He's talking about really the wolves. So he's saying, beware of those who are wolves, right? And sometimes it's a little trickier to figure out who that is, but given enough time, the wolf always presents himself. So beware of those guys, okay? Beware of those who are seeking to persecute you. What are they going to do? They are going to deliver you, deliver the faithful, deliver the disciple over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Jesus is really covering both bases here. He's saying the religious leaders for proclaiming the kingdom of God, if they're not in agreement with that, they're going to persecute you, right? And he's also saying the secular courts, right? Those that are over governments and stuff like that, right? They will also seek to persecute you. Verse 18, you will be dragged before these governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Right? I'd love to say that this is maybe a little far out from our current, current point, but we know that being dragged before courts is a thing for those who are sticking to their guns on their faith. Right? Think about the cake bakers. Think about the people that are just refusing to uh, kind of give in, to bow the knee to the new sexual revolution and everything like that. Right? There are moments where Christians, for their faithfulness, are being put before courts, right? They're being attacked for what they believe. They're being asked to bend the knee, to give up their faithfulness in the truth of God for the truth of some made-up God. So Jesus is preparing us. What should we do in these moments, right? What we should do in these moments is this. For my sake, bear witness before them. We need to understand this first thing about God here is that God leads his sheep. As our shepherd king, he leads our he leads us as his sheep. And what he leads us into isn't those good spots. He leads us into the wolves. He leads us before people that are, quote unquote, more powerful than us, quote unquote, have more authority than us, have a higher stature in the world around us. And yet we see here that it's for his sake. We see his sovereignty playing out before us. It's for his sake. And for his sake, we bear witness. So there isn't a situation in our world, there isn't a relationship in our lives that God hasn't orchestrated, and that prepares us. Because if the good things are orchestrated by God, then the bad things are orchestrated by God. And in both situations, good, sorry, good and bad, we are bearing witness to God. 
Now, what does bearing witness mean? We can think about it as like a witness stand, right? We're telling the truth. What are we telling the truth about, right? When we're presented with these difficult situations, what is it that we need to tell the truth about? Well, if we're going to proclaim the kingdom, we've got to proclaim the king. So we tell the truth about God's character, right? We tell the truth about who God is. And at the second time, as a witness, we tell what God has done. We don't just say God is this, but we say God is this, and that character is worked out through Jesus on the cross. And I've seen that personally when I've come to faith in Jesus. So we're looking at this not just as an intellectual information base that God is X, Y, Z, but we're also saying that that character trait, these character traits of God have worked in my life. I've witnessed God's faithful change of me, and I can proclaim that to you. We intentionally go into every situation expecting God's sovereignty and responding in faithfulness. And that is because God faithfully leads his sheep. Now, this does not sound pleasant to us. I think we can all be frank about that. That does not sound pleasant to us. And so Jesus knows this. He knows what lurks in our hearts. So in verse 19, he goes on and he says, when they deliver you over. So when this finally happens, right? And you are brought before people who are authoritative in the world around us. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. I don't know if you're like me, but usually public speaking makes me anxious. I don't like it, right? And so public speaking with a lot on the line makes me even more anxious, right? But here we go. Don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. And here comes an amazing blessing. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. In these moments, in these moments where we're facing down this trial, we have this great shepherd king who doesn't just lead us into these situations, but he provides everything we need for faithfulness in those moments. We see here specifically, right? He talks about something specific. Not only does he provide whatever we need, but specifically he provides the words. He provides the words. And so often when we think about what am I going to say to my coworker, what am I going to say to my family member, how can I help them understand God better and the work that God do has done on their behalf, all of a sudden we start doing that flowchart thing in our minds. If I say this, if this is my first sentence, he only has two options. And if he says yes or no, then I have two options here and two options here. And before you know it, you have 14 whiteboards in your bedroom and you're trying to figure it all out and it's two weeks later and you missed it. All right? So... Are we supposed to flowchart every single conversation, every, every possible thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. There's a trust that the believer has in our king, in our shepherd, that what we need will be provided for us, specifically in our words. Now, does this mean that we go into every situation absolutely blank-minded? You know, whatever happens, happens. No, of course not. But as we go into these situations that cause us anxiety, when we think about my reputation might be on the line, right? Maybe even my safety or my job might be on the line or my family might be on the line, right? We think to ourselves, well, I get to be shrewd and I get to be innocent. And this is where this plays in, right? If it is our Father that speaks through us, well, we can be prepared for that. And this is where Bible reading comes in. We read our Bible ahead of time. We pray ahead of time. We give any and every situation, whether known or unknown, expected or unexpected, we give it over to God. We say, Lord, you're leading me. Help me to trust you in where you bring me. Help me to trust your provision. 
At the same time, we just don't fill our minds and our hearts with the Bible ahead of time, but the innocent kicks in here as well. In the face of anxiety, we think to ourselves, well, the proper response isn't anger or gossip. It's not venting. It's not using my words against a person that I'm pre-frustrated in for not responding to what I want them to respond to, right? Maybe that's a little too exact, but nonetheless, we think to ourselves, maybe it is if I gossip or get angry at the situation, that might help, but that's not the case. God calls us to proclaim the truth of who he is and what he's done on the cross and in our lives in faith in him. I think it's an amazing blessing here. Jesus, up until this point in verse 20, has always said, my father, my father, my father. And here we get in verse 20 for the disciple, your father. Right? This means that God has provided himself for these situations. So God leads us and he provides for us. We are his sheep and he is our shepherd, but there's even more. It gets better. In verse 21, we read this. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The first two thirds of that, you're wondering, Josh, how is that better news? But the last half, okay, fine, that could be good news. But we see here that this hatred, it really does spiral out of control, right? It really does spiral out of control. The persecution against God's kingdom will become so divisive, so uh, just, uh, I guess you could say, prominent, right, or powerful, that family members will betray family members. They won't just betray them and, like, just kick them out of the family and never talk to them again. They won't just betray them and put them in prison. Instead, we'll betray them to death, right? They'll be delivered over to death. I think too, how bad does it need to get for people to deliver their own flesh and blood, right, over to death? Well, we know why, and Jesus tells us this, right? The families are going to divide, families are going to give each other over to death because of Jesus' namesake. And in a sense, Jesus is not talking about blood relationship family here, but he's talking about just family in the church, right? Because we are part of Jesus' family. So when he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, he's talking about that family as well. Because we're part of Jesus' family, we will be hated just as he is hated. The persecution gets so bad against the truth of God that there is this moment where we need to think to ourselves, my life could be on the line. My life could be on the line. But we do get in verse 23... You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is Jesus' way of saying you're protected, right? I'm leading you. I'm providing for you. Yes, hatred will come because of my name, but I am protecting you. How is he protecting us? Well, God protects his sheep in Christ's resurrection. You think about this for a moment, right? Jesus is preparing his disciples for this intense persecution that will divide them all the way down to their flesh and blood and their very own family. But soon it's Jesus that will be betrayed by his family, right? One of the 12, Judas, will go and betray Jesus. He will deliver him over to these authorities that God is warning us about. And these authorities won't stop, right? Whether it's the religious leaders or the government leaders, right? They won't stop until Jesus dies, and yet, at the same time, when we see that Jesus delivered over, we really know what's going on. It's that God is delivering Jesus over. Yes, Judas does this, but this is all part of God's plan to rescue us. 
And the amazing thing here is that God not only delivers him over to death, but then raises him up once again. And we just have to think about this. This is something that we need to consider, is that God delivered his son over to death and then delivered him out of death so that we might be protected eternally. We might have this eternal satisfaction and security in God's love for us. Jesus endured to prove, to authenticate God's love for us in a way that we can never do it. And so our salvation is secure in Jesus's life. So we get to the big idea, right? Persevering hardship authenticates God's love. That's not just our perseverance authenticates God's love for others. Our perseverance authenticates God's love for us. It's just backwards. God's love has saved us. God's love has put his son on the cross. In a very real way, our faith shows in love and perseverance. This isn't a verse that says, if you work hard enough, if you grit it out, if you just struggle more than anybody else struggles, finally God will save you. This is saying, if you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, you have that genuine faith, it will work itself out in perseverance. It will work itself out in a godly love for others. It will work itself out in becoming part of this compassionate mission to the lost sheep, those who are outside of God's kingdom. So persevering hardship authenticates love, both for the found sheep and for the lost sheep. Maybe today you can think about that for one moment. Just think about that. Think about the, the avenues of love that you have for other people. And maybe you can just ask a simple question. Is, do I have love for others? Is that an aspect of my faith in God? Is my love for others like God's love for me? I think it's easy for us to love those around us, right? We love those in our family just so our family can stay together so that I can feel love, so that when other people look at my family, they can say, you know what, this guy's got it all together. Right? If that's the basis of your love, well, that's faithless love. Or at least it's love that needs to be challenged by God's love for you. My point here is that if we're not loving others because God has loved us, then it's not faithful love. The source of this love is God himself. So perseverance, persevering hardship authenticates God's love. Persecution comes because of our connection to Christ. He's already said that, right? Part of that family would be hated for his name's sake. The glory that everybody sees in him is either accepted in faith or it is tried. It, the attempt comes to crush it and overwhelm it. So in this connection to Christ, we're not only secure, but we also were secure to live like Christ. Verses 23, yep, that's right, I have my numbers right. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. So Jesus is saying, you're not on this mission to the point of instant martyrdom, right? You're not throwing yourself on the spear, you're not making sure that your first place that you go to, you die at, right? There's perseverance, right? There's wisdom in the degree that we persevere, right? Sheep are called to persevere, but not unnecessarily, Right? Martyrdom does happen throughout our world, right? and we might be called to that, but God here is saying right? we persevere wisely. Right? We persevere to the necessary extent. Remember, in the previous passage, he says, knock the dust off your shoes for those who do not receive the message. All right? 
So we need to do that wisely. Why? He says this, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. There's a lot of discussion on this, and I'll just cut to the chase. What Matthew is getting to here is that Jesus will one day come back to the Father. He's not talking about the second coming here. He's not talking about his first coming. He's talking about coming back to heaven to be with the Father. And so what he's saying here is that they won't be able to finish this mission until Jesus ascends, right? The Christ comes back to the Father. So Jesus, when he does ascend, right, he completes his earthly mission. But what does he do right before he ascends? He gives the Great Commission. So though his mission, he has accomplished the new covenant for us, he gives that mission over to the disciples and says, now it's your turn to continue on in this mission. At his ascension, he grants his followers this great commission in his victory. This is amazing for us to think about, right? You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes, right? That completion won't happen before Jesus ascends, but by God's grace, one day it will. We are sent out to all the nations, all the peoples, all the tongues of the world, and we have the confidence because Christ rose from the dead that that mission is achievable. It's a long mission. We've been at it for a very long time, right? And there's still a lot more to do, but we are on that mission together, right? As a church body, confident in our risen Savior. So again, what does this mission look like? Verse 24, a disciple is not above his master, or a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? What is going on here? Well, Jesus is saying the sheep are never more than the shepherd. They're never greater than the king. Right? They are never going to outwork, outglorify, right? outlive, outlove Jesus. So when this persecution comes, it is enough for that sheep to be like Jesus. We don't need to be more than Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. And as we've been talking about here, right, the big part of that is love, grace, compassion, trust in God's sovereignty. Then we get this thing right after in verse 25. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It's enough for us to be like Jesus during this persecution. And this persecution comes against Jesus. Once again, they get this household feel to it, right? This comes against the house of Jesus, so it comes against us. The amazing thing here is it comes because of the misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And this gives us clarification on what we're doing, witnessing. But if they called the master the house of Beelzebub, what is this Term. We don't use this term ever. No one's ever named their kid this, right? But this is the Canaanite word for Lord of the high place. Lord of the high place. Now, we would all confess that God is the Lord of the high place. We would use that language today in a worship song, right? We would confess that God is the Lord of the high place. The amazing thing about this is that the Jewish leaders have taken this name in the context, they've taken the name. And they've turned it to Lord of Dung. Excuse me, sorry. Right? Lord of Dung. And they're trying to do that for a good reason, right? They're, this is in reference to Satan. Two chapters from here, the Pharisees confront Jesus. And what name do they call Jesus? They call him Beelzebul. And it's just so ironic. They're looking at the Lord of the high place, God himself, right? They're trying to hurt him by using a Canaanite word 
right? And yet, they have no idea who they're talking to. They're saying, you're Lord of dung. They're really talking to the Lord of the high place. And it's amazing how they try to malign Christ in that way, in their own intelligent way. We really got him this time. But it shows where we need to focus in on our mission. It shows that we need to clarify the intentionality, that talking about God's truth, who he is and what he's done on our behalf, right? We want to relieve that irony. We want to take care of people's misunderstanding of God. And we do that not only through our words, but also through the way that we live, right? That shrewdness, but also that innocence. We help people understand who God is, that they wouldn't think that he's Satan or something worthless, but they would actually call him Lord of the high place, right? But of course, that work comes with this hatred. And just as they will malign Jesus in just a few chapters, they malign us today for claiming and living out the Lord as the high or the Lord of the high place. So all this, we see that God loves his sheep. God loves his sheep. And though people will malign us for trusting in Jesus, we love those. We love those who malign us because God has loved us. So that means that we proclaim the kingdom in all the tough spots, whether our heart wants to or not. We trust Jesus, that he has led us there and he's providing all that we need. So we, we proclaim the kingdom in compassion, a love that stems from God himself. And we proclaim the kingdom no matter the cost. It's easy for us to do those scales in our mind and our heart. Is it really worth it here? It is worth it because that's what Jesus has done for us. He's paid the cost so that we might be brought into the kingdom of God. We proclaim it with compassion. We proclaim it in love. We complain it no matter the cost. I was reading a commentary by David Platt on this chunk, really all of chapter 10. And he really just comes to this point that this is impossible. All that we've read in chapter 9 and 10 and more so in 10 after this, it's just impossible. On our own strength, we really cannot do it. So it really highlights our sheepishness, right? It's not a word, but it just highlights right, how much like sheep we are and how much we need a good and loving king to lead us on his mission and be successful for it. So David Platt has these two prayer requests at the end of his uh, thoughts on this, and I think it's just so good for us to think through. I'm just going to read the two of them, and then I'll pray through them. But it says this, So we pray for godly compassion for all those lost around us, that we would see others around us as God sees them, lost in need of a shepherd. Second is like it. We pray for sacrificial obedience to our king and shepherd. And the only way that we can bring lost sheep to God, as God has done for us, is to trust the shepherd that brought us to him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for your compassion towards us, not only to rescue us, Lord, but to prepare us, Lord, to give us uh, heads up on the hatred that comes our way because of your name's sake. Lord, looking at this passage, we do confess that apart from you, we cannot do this. We cannot be compassionate. We cannot be loving. We cannot be gracious. We cannot persevere. Lord, you've done these things for us. And so far, we praise your name. Lord, we pray specifically that you would give us a compassion like yours for all those around us. Those that we see as lost, ruined, as being separated by sin from you. Lord, we pray that we would be able to have a compassion to bring them the good news that 
by faith, through your grace, Christ on the cross, they can be rescued, redeemed, saved, completed, given life for all eternity in you. Lord, we pray that you would give us this compassion, but Father, you would give us this compassion worked out as sacrificial obedience to you, Lord, that we would see your glory while we respond in faith. Faith in the words that we use, faith in the action that we live, faith just even in the desires of our hearts. Father, that we would truly desire to be on mission because, Father, you came on mission for us. Lord, I pray that you would make Highlands, Green Pond, Father, your church all throughout the world, Father, you would give us this compassion, give us the sacrificial obedience where we would count the cost, see it as worthy to tell others about you, our shepherd king. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.